You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we are in Galut, and yet while we're in Galut, we are remembering back. So we're remembering back to the temple. And as the first chapter and this list of Ain Bains, there's nothing except as this list of associations goes on, we're actually going to remember back before the temple. We're going to remember right back to the conquest of the land and remember we remember that the Mishnah Megillah actually begins with a reference to Joshua. We celebrate on the 15th of Adar in towns that had a wall at the time of Yehoshua bin Nun, at the time of Joshua. So the Mishnah, right at the beginning of this chapter, reminds us about Joshua and his conquest of the land, as if to say, look, we're in, we're in Shushan, we're in exile, we're in Persia. We're in Galut, but we still remember when we had our own land. And the chapter will, the, this first chapter that begins with Joshua, will actually close with Joshua as well and with Jerusalem. But we're going to begin just with the temple in Jerusalem and another Ain Bain, another there is no difference between. Ain Bain Kohen Mashuach Beshemen Hamishcha. There's no difference between a priest anointed with the oil of anointment and one with the additional garments. Now, what is going on here? Because we know that the priest has additional garments. He has eight garments. The high priest, sorry. We're talking about a Kohen Gadol here. We're talking about Kohen Gadol. The high priest has eight garments rather than the regular four. And the high priest is anointed with the special holy oil. What's the difference? And why should there be a difference between the two? Well, the, in the time of the first temple, they still had the holy oil. I guess from the time of Moshe, perhaps, or by tradition anyway, from the time of Moshe. And when the temple was destroyed by the, by the Babylonians, the oil was hidden. And we don't know where we don't know where it got to. So when the people came back after the end of the Persian exile and reestablished the second temple, they still had the extra garments for the high priest. But they didn't have the anointing oil. Now, does it make a difference? Does it make if we designate our high priest just with the garments? Does it make a difference that he doesn't have the anointing oil? Well, there is a pasuk which I brought on the source sheet for you. It's from Vayikra. It's from the first sedra in Vayikra. Im hakohen ha mashiach yecheta. If the anointed priest has sinned, then he he can bring a special chatat. But it's Hakohen Hamashiach, the anointed priest. Somehow it seems, at least from this pasuk, as though you need the anointment in order to bring the special chatat, the special sin offering. And so the Mishnah is going to continue. There's no difference between a priest anointed with oil and one anoint and, and one who just carries the extra garments. Except for the bull 
which is offered for all of the commandments. And of course, this is not <laughs> this is not for all of the commandments. This is for transgressing any or all of the commandments. There's no difference. Ein bein kohen meshamesh lechohen she'avar ela par yom hakipurim va'asirat ha'efa. And there's no difference between the kohen who is um, who's actually officiating and a kohen who's passed away, um, or he's become he's he's become unfit. So, so we learnt in the Mishnah of Yoma that you can the the the, the kohen gadol has to bring a special a special tenth of an afar as his personal offering. And there's a discussion in the mission of Yom as to what happens if you change Kohen Gadol halfway through Yom Kippur, perhaps if the first Kohen Gadol dies. Remember, that's why the second Kohen Gadol is, is appointed in the case the first one dies. And the, the Halakhari is actually the second one doesn't bring the tenth of the afar. The, someone who's appointed at the last minute doesn't bring the tenth of the afar. And now the Mishnah then jumps back from Jerusalem to, well, we're going to jump back to, to Shiloh. Well, we're going to jump back to Shiloh, but we're going to talk about Bamot. There's no difference between a, a Bama Gdola and it's translated as a great altar. A small altar. The great altar and the small altar. And the word Bama in Tanakh actually refers to an altar just somewhere out in the country where people are sacrificing animals. Quite often they are not sacrificing to God. So heathens sacrifice at Bamot. And when Joshua comes into the land, sacrifice is centralized wherever the tabernacle is. And there's a I, I've just brought you a little table here, actually, just to show you where the tabernacle is. And we have Sukim for all of these. So the, the Joshua crosses and puts the tabernacle in Gilgal. And the Aaron doesn't exclusively sitting in Gilgal because when they go out to war they bring it with them so and at this point there's a Bama Gadola there's a big altar in Gilgal and there's a there are small altars all over the other all over the place because people are still permitted to sacrifice at small altars and then Joshua brings the tabernacle and the Aaron and the ark to Shiloh Shiloh is where Eli Hakohen eventually hangs out. And we know the story of Samuel. Samuel actually sleeping in the temple at Shiloh in the same space, actually, that the Aaron Kodesh is sitting there. And he hears God talking to him. So Shiloh is where Elkanah and Hanah go to pray for another child. After Shiloh, there's a disaster at Shiloh, actually, that the Aaron is captured by the Philistines. The two sons of Eli are die. They're, they're, they're not fit. And the tabernacle goes temporarily to Nob and then to Gibon. 
And then it's brought up, eventually it's brought up to Jerusalem. So it lives temporarily at Nob and at Gibbon until it, it comes up to Jerusalem. And when it's living at Nob and Gibbon, sacrifices, at least according to the memory of the Talmud, sacrifices on small altars are, are, are permitted. When it's in Shiloh and in Jerusalem, they're not permitted. So the Mishnah, and I brought you all the Pesukim on the Sorshi, but let, let's just look at the Mishnah. There's no difference between a great altar and a small altar, except for the Pesach offering. In other words, a, an ordinary free will offering can be brought on any altar, great or small. But the Pesach offering has to be brought on the main altar at, for example, Gilgal or Nov or Gibbon or in Jerusalem. The Pesach offering has to be brought in Jerusalem. And of course, when we learn Pesachim, we learned that, you know, there are hundreds, thousands of Pesach offerings being offered in Jerusalem centrally. And the Gemara actually applies this halacha to any other festival sacrifice. So the only difference between the big and the small altar is that when it comes to a, a required sacrifice like the Pesach sacrifice, we have to sacrifice it on the big altar. And the Mishnah then gives a principle there, klal, kol shehu nidar dav. This is the principle, any vow offering or any free will offering, basically any voluntary offering. Karev babama. You can bring it on an altar. And the Mishnah here is talking about a small altar. In other words, you can just bring it anywhere. This is this is decentralization. The chol she'eno, chol she'elo, the chol she'eno, any offering which is not a vow or a free will offering may not be brought on an altar. And that by this, the Mishnah is talking about a small altar. In other words, we have to bring these centrally. So if this is the, the special characteristic of the big altar, the actually the four um the four big altars at Gilgal, five, Gilgal, Shiloh, Nov, Gibbon, and Jerusalem. And Shiloh and Jerusalem being the central ones, what's the difference between Shiloh and Jerusalem? Are they the same? And that's where the, this, this, that's where this chapter of the Mishnah closes. Ein bein Shiloh Yerushalayim, Eila, Sheba Shiloh, Ochlin Korashim, Kalinu Maser, Shenib Cholaroi. Uvi Yerushalayim, there's no difference between Shiloh and Jerusalem. So Shiloh, where Eli used to hang out, and Jerusalem, well, we know where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem from the time of King David and onwards. David conquers Jerusalem and Shlomo, his son, brings builds the temple there. So there's no difference in principle, except that sacrifices of lesser sanctity. So these are, um, for example, Maser Sheni. So we're going to Maser Sheni is whole is our holy things that we select from our produce and we bring them to Jerusalem to eat there, and they can be eaten anywhere inside the city. So when we were looking at probably at um, probably the tract of Maser Sheni, we we learned that you have to be inside the city wall. And there's some discussion actually as to actually where on the city wall the boundary is, where you have to be in order to eat Maser Sheni in Jerusalem. But in Shiloh, it's different. Um, 
It can be eaten anywhere within sight. As long as you can see Shiloh and you can see the tabernacle, you can eat your Maser Sheni there. It doesn't have to be inside the city wall. Maybe even at Shiloh there wasn't a city wall. I mean, that's one possibility that occurs to me just thinking about this Mishnah. Maybe there was no city wall. So if you could see the tabernacle, you can eat your Maser Sheni. In Jerusalem, you have to be inside the wall. And in both places, the most holy sacrifices were eaten within the curtains. So we're talking about the tabernacle now. We're not talking about a a um, we're not talking about the structural bait midash. We seem to be talking. We're still talking about the mobile tabernacle before Shlomo Hamelech builds the temple, and the. Holy things would be eaten inside the curtains of the tabernacle. And then the Mishnah concludes, Kedushat Shiloh Yesh After the holiness of Shiloh, there was permission, permission for altars, permission for other altars to be constructed in other places. And we saw that after Shiloh, the tabernacle went to Nob and Gibbon. So it wandered around before it got to Jerusalem. And during that period, people had permission to build altars and to sacrifice at them. But after the holiness of Jerusalem, there's no permission. That is to say, there's no permission to build another altar. And the Rambam explains in his commentary here, and I, I, I mean, it's a long comment, but I've, I've edited, I've filleted it for you. Very important comment. After he chose Jerusalem, this is God choosing Jerusalem. We never sacrifice in any other place ever. And even though it's destroyed, it's forbidden to sacrifice at the altars. In other words, and what is the Rambam saying here? Or partly he's saying, look, we, you know, we don't, he's saying after the destruction of the, after the destruction of Jerusalem, there's no substitute. Everything stops. Everything stops. I'm not sure whether the Rambam had a concept that Jerusalem would ever be would you know would ever be built again he's writing a thousand years after the destruction but he's clear about the fact that we can't set up you know another temple in let's say alexandria um where there was a temple actually for some time after the destruction of jerusalem you know we can't set it up in alexandria or in babylon or anywhere else jerusalem was once the center and nothing can really replace it Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.